Welcome to the Fiscal Physical Podcast. Join us each week as we sit down with the founder of Alchemy Wealth Management and author of Your Fiscal Physical, Ryan Nelson. Tune in to gain valuable insights and practical tips as we simplify complex financial concepts into digestible lessons. From budgeting to retirement planning, this podcast is your go-to resource for mastering financial literacy. Welcome to this week's episode of Your Fiscal Physical Podcast. I am Aaron Hoisington, and I am joined, as always, by uh, Ryan Nelson, founder of Alchemy Wealth Management. And uh, you also are, Ryan, an avid Ironman participant, correct, if, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. Why? Like, yeah, good question. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I asked myself that, like, uh, yeah, mile 24 into the marathon at the end of it. I don't know. Yeah, and for people who don't might not know what an Ironman is, you just mentioned mile 24 of a marathon. That's just one of three you know, hellacious steps in that event, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, you're not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, so there, you, you sw- how, long, how long do you swim for? Yeah, so it's a swim, bike, run. You swim for 2.4 miles, you bike for 112 miles, and then you run 26.2 miles, which is a marathon. All back-to-back, too. It's not like you get like a day of, a week of break in between. It's just, cool, I'm, all, I'm out of my swimsuit, I'm hopping on the bike, right? Yep, yep, yep. Immediately after, one after the other, um, you, you, you get through those transitions as quick as possible so you try to transition from the swim to the bike you know in in maybe 10 minutes the pros are transitioning from say a swim to bike in you know 90 seconds and you know wow um so yeah so the, really the goal you, you know the whole event is time so you want to make those transitions from event to event as as quickly as possible yeah and that's it's just impressive i see your your the post that get, you get tagged in Facebook, like, okay, another Iron Man down. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I was breathing heavy walking in my kitchen today. So um, <laughs> very impressive overall. And that's just one of your many accolades. And uh, um, let's, let's, let's talk about some other ones here as far as your financial prowess. And uh, um, the topic we're going to discuss this week, one I'm very excited about because it kind of ties in our last couple of episodes together is uh, um, asset allocation. Um, what is that overall? Yeah. So so, and I've alluded to it in a couple of the episodes. So I think episode two and episode four, the episode on stock and the op- episode on bonds, um, those two episodes, um, it's both stocks and bonds are types of assets, right? They're, they, so you, we would define them as different asset classes. Um, and so asset allocation is how you would purchase these different asset classes. So again, the, the examples I've used in the previous episodes is there's three main asset classes. There's cash, bonds and stocks. Primarily, you know, if we're talking about, you know, retirement planning, you're probably not going to have a ton of money, your retirement planning money in cash. Um, the fourth asset class that I alluded to in an earlier episode is is alternatives. That would just kind of um, be be a catch-all for everything that's not a, a, a cash stock or bond. Um, and so primarily when we're looking at asset allocation, we're looking at what percentage of your assets we have in stocks and what percentage of your allocation do we have in bonds. So if you had you know a million dollars invested, how much of that million dollars is in stocks? How much of that million dollars is in bonds? And so you know in episode two, the episode on stocks, if you listen to that, you probably heard a couple of things about stocks that you said, gosh, this is really cool. I should own some of these. Yeah. And you probably heard a couple of things where you were like, 
God, this is that sounds like those kind of suck. Why would I yeah. ever own any of these, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, the same is true for episode four when we talked about bonds. You probably heard a couple of things where you said, "Oh, wow, a, a structure." You know, there's structures. This I know how much I'm getting. Oh, that sounds pretty cool. Like, um, I think maybe I should own some of these. And you probably heard something else where you said, "Gosh, that's why they don't pay as much as stocks. Why would I ever own any of these, right?" And so the reality is, um, those two asset classes they they act as diversification. And so by owning both. The idea is they're they're loosely correlated to each other. So what it means is how one responds, the other one doesn't necessarily respond the same way. So it's possible for stocks to go up and bonds to go down at the same time, or bonds go up and stocks go down. Or it's also possible for both of them to go up or both of them to go down, but they typically have a lower correlation. Um, and in fact, there's certain economic um, situations in which case um, they actually typically th- there's times where they they almost meaningfully uh, move in opposite directions. So what that means is if you owned a little bit of both of these, if the stock market was to be down, it's very possible that your bond holdings would be up in sort of mitigating some of those losses, mm-hmm. right? Um, so these two assets work really well hand in hand, and and they're a nice complement to each other. And so asset allocation again itself is just um, sort of the art, if you will of how much you have in stock. It, for the purposes of this conversation, we'll keep it super, super high level. So right. for pur- purposes of this conversation, asset allocation will be how much do you have in stock versus how much you have in bonds. Okay. Yeah. And that's that's a good kind of kind of segue into this next thing as far as what are kind of those, those you detail it in your book, uh, your fiscal physical, um, and it you break it down really well with some graphs some charts. And you, you have some great examples in there. And one of them that I think really, really hit home when I was thinking, I was like, oh, wow, that's a great question is, or a great point is bringing up companies of the last 50 years, uh-huh. like, and how things change and, uh, uh, you know, why it's important to have that asset allocation and, and diversification, if you will, in, yeah. in, in your holdings overall. Yeah, definitely. You don't want to put any of your, you know, you don't want to put all of your eggs in any one basket. Um, and so this is just one of the ways we can diversify a little bit. And so you diversify, diversify across asset classes. So have some in stocks, some in bonds. Um, but then even in that, we diversify further. So in your stocks, you wouldn't own all just one stock. You'd diversify your stock holdings. And then in bonds, you wouldn't own just one bond. You'd diversify your bond holdings as well. Um, but yeah, so it, it, that's definitely a really important variable when it comes to long-term investing success. Yeah. So what you're saying is I probably shouldn't, I should probably sell my blockbuster stock then at this point, right? (laughs) (laughs) Is it still around? Uh, I don't think so. I think there's one ceremonial store like still up in like Bend, Oregon. Yeah. yeah, Just just for fun there. But um, what, what elements go into asset allocation. I know that you, yeah. I'm sure there's different ways we can break this down. And I don't know if you can kind of give just a brief overview as far as like, yeah. here, here are the main points to kind of think about when you're, you're right. what goes into that. Right. So, so if we think about asset allocation, there's this, you know, kind of a spectrum. You could be in theory, asset allocation would still be hundred percent stock, 0% bonds, mm-hmm. 90% stock, 10% bonds, you could be 50% stock, 50% bonds, or you could be, you know, 20% stock, 80% bonds, right? So you could have primarily in stocks, you could have primarily in bonds. So where along this allocation of, of 0% stock to 100% stock and 0% bonds to 100% bonds, where where in this spectrum should you fall? Um, I think that's the root of your question. Yes, and, definitely. And so um, there, there's a few different tools that you should take to figure out effectively this becomes how much risk you're taking. So again, if we look at that spectrum between stocks and bonds, 
in general, I think it's fair to say that stocks in general are riskier than bonds. Certainly, you could go find some bond out there that's, I'm sure, more risky than some stock out there, right? But as a generality, stocks are in general are more risky than bonds. So if we were in, say, 90% stock, 10% bonds, that'd be a pretty aggressive portfolio. If we were in 10% stock, 90% bonds, it'd be a fairly conservative portfolio. And so where along this spectrum shall we, should we lie? And so um, what we always want to do is focus on what our goals are. First and foremost, we want to do goals-based planning. So we'd focus on where our goals are, what our goals are. Um, so if we're doing retirement planning, is your retirement goal five years out, 15 years out, 25 years out, right? Um, and then you would also want to take a look at your risk. So you'd want to typically complete what's called a risk tolerance questionnaire that helps give you an idea of how comfortable you are with risk. One of the tricky things with risk is it's so subjective. Mm-hmm. So I could talk to you and you could say, Oh, no, I don't take any, I'm not comfortable taking risk. And it's like, well, compared to what? Right. Right. So, so I could talk to two different people. One say, no, I don't like taking risk. The next one say, yeah, I, I love taking risk. And they actually be comfortable taking the same amount of risk. They were just comparing it to different, you know, mm-hmm. thresholds. And so the nice thing about a risk tolerance questionnaire is it's a, it's a questionnaire that then interprets the results of the questionnaire as a numerical data point. So typically it will give you a score. Most questionnaires I've seen will give you a score between zero and a hundred. Typically a hundred will be the most risky zero will be the least risky. So now it gives us context to talk about this. So if you took a risk tolerance questionnaire, and let's just say, hypothetically, your score was uh, a 90, well, that'd mean you have a very high risk tolerance. Mm -hmm. If your score was a 50, you'd have a medium risk tolerance. If your score was a 20, you'd have a very low risk tolerance. But now we have some context to talk about risk. So we'd look at your risk tolerance, and we'd want to partner that with what's called your risk capacity. So lots of different variables can go into risk capacity. One of the main variables that goes into risk capacity is your what's called time horizon. So this would be going back to what is your goal. If you're focused on retirement planning and your retirement goal is 35 years out, you're going to have a longer time horizon than if you were um, 65 and wanting to retire next year. Sure. Right. Um, so we'd look at your risk capacity. Again, one of the major factors of risk capacity is your time horizon. And then we'd look at your risk tolerance. We'd partner those two things together and you can start to get an idea of how much risk you should be taking. Once you once you get an idea of how much risk you should be taking, you can start to get a feel for, okay, should you be, you know, like 90% stock, 10% bonds, or should you be 10% bonds, 90% stock, or somewhere in the right. middle, right? Yeah. Um, so that'd be high level how you would start to formulate maybe how much risk you should be taking. Yeah, no, that that's that's great. And and everybody in these this day and age wants you know, a quick answer or a quick formula to plug in to figure out, oh, cool, what should I do when it becomes to investing? And, th- and there's, once again, a great breakdown in your book here about the, uh, I don't know if you can speak about the, the rule of 110. Yeah. So, so yeah, everybody wants that, uh, yeah. the, the silver bullet again, right? Right. Um, and so the rule of 10 is just that. It's a rule of thumb. I wouldn't recommend anybody actually use this uh, for retirement planning. Um, but it helps give us some context around this. So what the rule of 10 states is... Is it 10 or 110? 110, 110. Okay, gotcha. Um, So what the rule of 110 states is you take 110 and you subtract your age from it, and that's the percentage, according to this rule of thumb, that you should have in stock, and the rest would be invested in bonds. So let's look at a couple examples. So if a 30-year-old was was to apply the rule of 110, you'd take 110 minus 30, you'd be left with 80. So 80% of this person's portfolio would be in stock, the rest would be in bonds. So they'd be at 80% stock, 20% bonds. Um, If we apply the rule of 10 to somebody who was 60, 
they would you take 110 minus 60, so 50. So you'd be 50% stock, 50% bonds. And if you apply the rule of 110 to somebody who is, say, 80, you go 110 minus 80 is 30. So they'd be 30% stock, uh, 70% bonds. So if you look at this, the 30-year-old had um, 80% stock, so a pretty aggressive portfolio. The 60-year-old had 50% stock, so a moderate portfolio. And the 80-year-old had 30% stock, so a pretty conservative portfolio. So you can see how um, it's a good, it's a good uh, at least example to see that how over time, your time horizon shortens, and therefore you start becoming a little bit more, in theory, you should start, your investments oftentimes should start becoming a little bit more conservative. Um, so again, while I don't recommend anybody necessarily use the rule of 110, it's, it's, it helps demonstrate a pretty good point. Um, I don't think you should ever use just one single variable, which would be your age to determine a appropriate investment right. philosophy. Um, but it, it helps point you in the right direction. And, you know, there's probably not, you know, if you're 30, you know, the rule of 110 says maybe you should have 80% in stock. Well, yeah, that's probably like at least directionally accurate. You probably shouldn't only have 10% stock. Sure. <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's just that a rule of thumb, but it helps point people in the right direction. Yeah, and I think to kind of tie that all together, really it, it depends on so many different factors. And one thing I recommend is is go and, well, I'm biased, go and meet with Ryan, Alchemy Wealth Management, <laughs> obviously, but uh, talk to your financial advisor or, you know, do some research yourself on 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 those different factors. Like, I know that when I signed up with, with your firm, you gave us a, my, my wife and I, you gave us a risk tolerance uh, quiz. Yep, and risk tolerance questionnaire. It, it, yeah, questionnaire. And it was just kind of cool because I consider myself, oh, am I a risky person? And sometimes I think I am, sometimes I think I'm not. And sometimes the results will surprise you and you 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 know, kind of meet with your financial advisor and have that guided plan right. to determine what works best for you in your situation. I think that's, unfortunately, there is no silver bullet. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I appreciate the plug, of course, but yeah. there's lots of good financial advisors out there who can, um, who can go through these risk tolerance and do an appropriate job of figuring out how much risk you can, should take and then therefore determining an appropriate asset allocation. Um, but to your point, yeah, like having a defined process, um, you know where you're taking in multiple variables can can really help point you uh, in a you know in a better direction probably than that rule of thumb. Excellent, and I think that kind of kind of wraps up the asset allocation uh, piece here. And this all kind of ties into our previous episodes, like said, episode two on stocks, episode four, which was bonds. Um, this kind of gives you a, a higher level of how they kind of all tie together. And the cool thing about this podcast is you don't have to listen to these episodes in order. I think you're still gonna. Everyone's going to be able to learn something from each episode, but it Definitely. is nice to kind of tie it in. Um, be like, oh, that actually works here, and then the kind of the light bulb starts to click. As definitely, far as that definitely. Goes. Um, so um, excellent. Well, we'll uh, we'll take a quick pause here, and we'll get on the other side of this. We'll do some personal stuff. And now to put the personal in personal finance. All right, Ryan. And one thing you, you've we've closed out the podcast with, uh, and uh, if you subscribe to your newsletter, uh, whenever you you know finish your, your emails to your your clients, or your, and just in general, it's something that uh, a, a saying that you use is "stay the course." Yeah. And uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about like kind of what that means and what that means to you as sure. far as investing or just in life in general. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think uh, obviously I didn't coin that term. It's a popular term in the industry, but uh, like you said, I've really embraced it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, stay the course. What it means to me at least is is if, as we apply it to finances would be your portfolio, for example. So let's take you, for example, um, a fairly young guy planning for retirement that's years in the future. Um, what the market does tomorrow is not that important for your overall success 
when you're 65, 75, 85, 95, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's hard to believe, but I, I, I like to use this, this example of um, if we were to look backwards in time. So if we were to pull up um, some, you know, some company, again, let's keep using Apple computers sure. as an example. So if you were to go back, um, let's say um, in, in September 11, right? Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of stocks fell after September 11, right? So this event happened, the stock market fell, and the stock market fell pretty drastically. I don't have the data in front of me, but I'm going to assume Apple Computers was one of those companies that fell as well. So now as we look back, right, 20 years in the future, and we look back and we say, okay, the market was down on September 11th and the days following. How much of an impact do you think September 11th had on how profitable Apple is today? probably not a drop in the bucket like yeah, it, really uh, if, really if, negligible yeah, yeah, yeah if really, anything, right so yeah. so it's a good example like back when september 11 happened it's obviously uh a devastating event that impacts so many people um and it's hard not to sometimes feel emotional and say okay the market's going to be crashing like i don't want to own these stocks anymore right the reality is now 20 years later more than 20 years later it's easy to look back on that and say Oh yeah, that you know, from an investment standpoint, that didn't necessarily impact the long-term success of my investments, right? Um, so in hindsight, it's really easy to see that. Sure. But the problem is, while we're living through it, each of those events does feel like the biggest thing, right? And so I can promise you, sometime throughout this year, there's probably going to be another event that happens. Hopefully, not as drastic as, as September sure. 11th, of yeah. course. <laughs> but there's going to be something that happens, whether it's the Federal Reserve making a decision, the government, right? We have elections towards the end of the year. Depending on what side of the political, you know, table you'd like to sit, um, you may be happy with the decision. You may not be happy with the decision, but. And it's, and it's really easy to get caught up in that and say, oh, um, whatever happens with this election or whatever happens with the Federal Reserve or whatever happens with XYZ events, it's going to change the way I should invest. And I would tell you that it shouldn't. As we fast forward 20 years from now and you look back and we reflect back on today, um, the results are, you know, what what's happening on a day-to-day basis is really not that substantial or impactful on your overall success. So stay the course to me is having that long-term goal investing in line with your long-term goal, knowing there's going to be ups and downs along the way and not letting those stress you out, just staying the course, following your original plan and yeah, stay the course. Yeah, no, I, I love that too. And it really is kind of comforting because I'm like, oh man, like, you know, I sometimes get a little, um, I'll check my 401k or whatever and I'm like, oh my gosh, everything's, yeah. I'm, I'm never going to be able to retire. And then like I get an email from Ryan that's like, ah, stay the course. It's going to be all right. Like if we got a plan, we're sticking to the plan. Yep. And you know that's that's kind of where it goes too. So um, it just kind of wrapping up here. I know that there's, there, I can't remember. I'm going to butcher it. There's the the proverb that you have as far as okay. um, like planting a tree. Oh yeah, like yeah, specifically. Sure. I yeah. think that that's a good way to kind of end this episode as far as yeah. you know providing that to the listeners. Yeah. So there's an old Chinese proverb, um, and it says the best time to to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree was today. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you could have started investing 20 years ago, that would have been awesome. But if that ship has sailed, mm-hmm. certainly the next best time is today. Yeah. No, and I think that that's, that's super powerful just in general. And I always think about that in, well, now that I, I always think about the concept, I can never remember the proverb itself. And I've, I've tried to use it the other day and I just completely butchered it. It's <laughs> like, oh, all right. But it, that tying in with like staying the course, it's like, cool. Like we have this plan. 
stick with it and in the end you know things are going to be okay or that's yep. at least what we like to think yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. overall so um awesome well thank you again ryan for uh, uh joining us and kind of sharing that insight here i hope everybody learned from this episode and i know i specifically did yeah absolutely and hopefully we all know why now but uh stay the course thank you for joining us for the fiscal physical podcast Until next time, happy listening, and as always, stay the course. If you have a question or topic suggestions, please email us at podcast at alchemywealth.com. If you enjoyed today's discussion, subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an episode, and consider leaving us a rating and review on your favorite platform. This helps other listeners like you find the show. For more resources, you can visit Alchemy Wealth Management's website at www.alchemywealth.com wealth.com or find your fiscal physical the book on amazon we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that personal finance is just that personal please don't take anything we say as advice the preceding content is for informational and entertainment purposes only it's not an offer or a solicitation nor should it be construed or relied upon for tax legal or investment advice it doesn't consider your personal financial situation or objectives and may not be suitable for you